Hi. Hey, Samson, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad. How are you? Oh, I'm living the dream. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's getting to that. It's getting to that point where you sort of start um, remembering like what it was like. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like you you emerge out of it and then you're like, yay, cool, and you go, and then you forget that it was a kind of challenging, and then this comes, and then you're like, oh, that's right. Yeah. I was feeling that particular way during that time. And I, I think with each lockdown, people get less and less likely to do, like, fun Zoom calls or make sourdough or any of that sort of stuff because you're like, nah, I'd rather just wallow and eat my feelings at the moment. Yeah. I think, that's like, I think that's like spot on. I've seen a few like TikToks where people are making that case. It's just watched one where some guy was just sort of like laying out like, yeah, um, met daily meditation, excess drinking, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> um, fun hobby, or like, you know, all those anxiety. <laughs> I was like, kind of, yeah, yeah, but, uh, I think in the last one, one of the, my mate said it well. She said, we've lost, the novelty's gone out of it. Yeah. You know? It's like, yeah, nah, it's just boring now. Oh, nah, yeah, I think back to those happy days and it was like, we're all watching Tiger King and, ah, it's so fun. <laughs> but it feels like 20 years ago now. <laughs> I know, I know. And now if someone says, do you want to Zoom, you want to stab them in the eye with a pencil. Yeah. No, I don't want to Zoom. I don't want it's to. the last thing I want to do. Mm. <laughs> I want to go to a pub and get drunk with my friends in, in real life. Yeah. <laughs> Not on Zoom. No, I agree. No, oh well. Um, Not long. Yeah, not long and hopefully um, it doesn't get extended. To <laughs> what can you do? Yeah, I don't do much about it. <sighs> I see some other people here. A few more people coming. everyone else going at the moment. <laughs> yeah, not too bad, pretty well, <laughs> considering, yeah. all things considered. Yeah. I'm, um, my, I'm an essential worker, so uh, thankfully all my shifts are still intact and it means that I get to leave the house, Yeah. which is great fun. Mm. So yeah, so everything else is a bit... Um, I don't know, amusing to me at this point. Yeah. I've had a few friends that um, have been trying for ages to put on some large-scale events. Um, one of my mates might be out eight grand because of this event because she's tried to, it was, was going to be like a day festival. And I think this is the third time she's tried to put it on, but lucky for her every time, it's always coming up, the lockdown hits again. So, Yeah especially with all the arts grants being more in, um, in name than actuality at the moment. She's finding it pretty hard to get any support. That's not good. I've, I feel I have a couple of friends who are in events and I think they're particularly being hit by this uh, and all the unpredictability. And like, because there's a sense that everyone wants to go to an event after this, after they get out of this. And then, mm. you know, you put all this capital into it. And totally. 
Yeah, I think there's always this lingering expectation that COVID, you know, lockdowns are going to lift and then all that stuff's just going to be there. But um, for people that don't have friends in it or, you know, don't think about it that much for whatever reason, yeah, if this stuff keeps happening and the support isn't there, then it isn't going to be there. So. And the massive amount of work that goes into it. Good on him. Oh no, yeah, I was gonna say he uh, he apologized for the vaccine rollout being so terrible. When I think the week before he was like, I'm not going to apologize. And then in another briefing, he was like, Well, of course I'm sorry. I was like, Yeah, right, mate. Marketing on on point. Mm, that was funny. I was talking to my housemate about that the other day, him apologizing. And then as I was speaking to him, I recalled there was like that um, a poll, like just the day before that put him pretty low and I was like oh yeah I forgot about that I can't imagine that there's no correlation but yeah that'd do it me being pretty cynical okay well it is six o'clock so hi everybody um back again um um I'm happy to see you and I, you know, I've been looking forward to this because um, I think I said in the lecture, you know, uh, I actually did most of my undergraduate degree offline. And so um, uh, we didn't have much of, the, you know, Zooms and stuff like that back in the day. So I have a particular soft spot for um, um, off-campus people and seeing you regularly. So um, that's good. Now, I have made some provisions to try and, like, fortify my internet connection but um, we'll see how we go um, uh, so um, oh and also Callum I just uh, and everyone else um, I there was a bit of like a weird crossover with like last week's lecture recording um, and what I realized was that I did record it on Zoom and tried to upload it but what happened is they recorded the lecture in Burwood, like even though no one was there, and then just like uploaded 15 minutes of like blankness. So um, I've I couldn't quite get the 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 lecture recording into the same like box. So I've because there's just some weird thing. So I've created a new uh, folder for the lectures that I record on Zoom during the pandemic. So hopefully um, you guys can have um, a look at that if you weren't able to make the lecture on Monday. And obviously that's uh, mine. Mm. I thought it was just some like artistic yeah. interpretation of personhood or like yeah. how we're all blank. And, uh, uh -huh. and then it went on to 55 minutes and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. really funny. It's like a piece of um, performance art. So, yeah. So, no. Um, it's a bit of a technological crossover. So, cool. Because I'm not an essential person. Like, them coming to see me for my birthday. It's not an essential. Hey, Cass. Yeah, microphone's on. That sounded a bit heated. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, we just have to make light of it, don't we? All these kind of technological mishaps, any way to get through it. Um, 
didn't sound particularly quite um, good, Cass. Um, anyway, so the reading. Uh, let's get into it. Now, I, you know, this should be good because a few of you were pretty keen to talk about this last seminar. Um, uh, now, we're going to actually do it, uh, uh, which is good because we can do that in there. Uh, so, look, what I might just do uh, to as an entry point to think about the reading is just sort of reiterate or just revisit um, the idea of personhood as we understand it in the West. And I just wondered if maybe we could uh, just reflect on some of those attributes or I'd probably say, you know, if wonder if it's prompted anyone to think about something in their own life or reflect upon uh, individualism as it pertains to them. It's, it's often, sometimes the case when you get drawn your attention to a concept, suddenly you kind of start seeing it playing itself out in the world. So I wondered if anyone had anything like that that maybe they wanted to share or reflect upon. Yeah, Helen. Yeah, I can always talk on this kind of stuff. Um, I found learning about personhood, individualism, and how people determine what makes them that individual, that person, um, has really been something I've been questioning but now have, you know, like studies to back up. Moving from Australia to England, England, Egypt, Egypt, China, and now Ukraine, how people determine themselves is slightly different in all those Western, well, I don't know if Egypt and China can be, but, you know, even Australia and England was different. They really identified with their particular township or even their, their um, it's not province, but that's the only word I can think of, you know, East Sussex or I'm from East Sussex. Um, and yet it wasn't the same type of individualism or personhood as perhaps um, the Badi and Jawi people, where it was about the land or a physical thing, or these people in Siberia that I, I haven't heard how to pronounce yet, so I'm going to skate around pronouncing their name, um, with location and and animal and their, their soul. Um, the closest I came to that was Taoists in China identifying with spirits of other living beings like tree, uh, mainly natural, non-human, but still there was always that separation. Um, and it's really got me thinking about how many seem to have that separation of personhood from human and non-human. Um, and these little outliers are just particularly interesting to me. Um, and it's made me kind of reflect on how I determine what I define as myself, my, as a person and, and as an individual. Uh, and it's a mess. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how, really. Yeah, I think that's some uh, interesting insight and it's good to hear. I can see so you're clearly thinking, uh, thinking this through. And, um, yeah, I think that um, uh, there's a different kind of, like when you identify with something, uh, when you sort of still maintain that kind of individualism, you know, your area or your region or I'm from this town or this whatnot. Um, but yet very different uh, 
if you're sort of thinking through your identity or how that bears on you in relation to other things um, at a kind of broader conception um, rather than, um, you know, what kind of markers can I just sort of like uh, put uh, apply to myself uh, that kind of um, identifies identifies me. Um, so yeah, I wonder that's sort of how I sort of was thinking about what you were saying. Um, uh, and um, yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting perspective. Uh, does anyone else have any kind of insights or stories or anything they want to contribute? Um, yeah, I guess it's, it got me thinking about at the moment, you know, the last year and a half and how we we in the West see ourselves as, you know, like I, I think of my own self and how I feel that I'm connected to my local community and that defines me as being someone who, but having that then taken away and seeing a lot of people who make these big statements that are oh, I'm I'm more of an introvert, I don't like being around people, I'm I'm like my partner. And then you watch them when those incidental um relationships are taken away and how it actually does have an effect on them. So even people who don't think they're connected to the local community, once that's withdrawn, they they really seem to suffer. That's a great insight. And I I think um, we've probably all kind of maybe considered that in some way. I know I certainly have. And I think that's kind of your what you've mentioned there uh, speaks to that kind of moment I had in the lecture where I was thinking about Margaret Thatcher and then how Boris Johnson, you know, she said, you know, in this economic situation that we're in now, she kind of created well you know we're all just individuals and there's no such thing as society you know what society actually gets in the way and we shouldn't you know it's all about amplifying the individual and as a consequence of that um, we don't need to fund social programs and da, 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 da. And she kind of pulled that back and there was all the stuff around the unions and stuff at her time um, and then isn't it funny that Boris Johnson who's also a conservative and a Tory is now gone oh well, actually you know what that's in, in the coronavirus, uh, that doesn't really work, does it? Because, you know, we're all realising that, um, well, there's a set of, there's some people who need to keep things going, otherwise it's not going to work. And, um, you know, we all feel suddenly realising because we're at various points having to isolate or, um, you know, or what I've sort of described is kind of reassert our individualness is how much we crave connection um, and need that connection. And from an anthropological perspective, you know, I've really reflected on the fact that humans are social creatures. Now, I know some people said maybe they're not, um, and I, obviously there's different degrees, you know. You have people who just, you know, uh, energised through social interaction, maybe some of the less so, but, yeah, I don't know how far you go without them. Uh, I think that's being really powerfully brought home, I think, at the moment. Um, yeah, but does, does anyone else have a relationship with that? I, sorry, I didn't put my hand up. I don't know if... Um, I. It's kind of a thought experiment, and I don't think it's really grounded in anything, but the text 
and the talk of individualism versus individualism really got me thinking about if society was more individual, would COVID have become such big issues in the sense of, you know, um, like lockdowns being protested and things because people would relate more to other humans, other people. Um, you know, like, so I've been in lockdown for 499 days um, and I've seen multiple protests here. But the thing that really got me annoyed was when I was in a lecture last trimester and Melbourne went into, I think, your third or fourth lockdown. And our lecture was interrupted by people protesting down Flinders Street because the lecturer lives there. And I just thought, like, what are you – I, what, what, is, what drives people to do that? They're clearly not connected individually. It's just individual, like, well, I'm healthy, I'm okay. People look at – I've been questioned by people, why are you doing it? You look healthy, you're young. It's not just about me and why I'm shielding or uh, isolating. It's because I don't want to pass it on to other people um, because I feel that that sense of community is really important. And in places like Ukraine here, if I go down to the market that runs every day down the street, it's, it's easy to pass that virus through those people. And they're usually older people, vulnerable people. And I just, that sense of individualism, it varies in different cultures, but it's still there. And it makes me wonder, like Australia, I feel, has really shown how much of an individualistic uh, culture it has. Um, and I should say white Australia, I guess, or, you know, the people who are in charge. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's, wrong or, or even but that's something that i've been thinking about this individualism versus individualism kind of society space. yeah i think um uh i think that's really interesting and i think those uh protests are interesting things to think about and and look i know there's lots of uh things that uh contribute to that but i can't help but see that it is tied up with individualism and um, you know, I have a certain right as an individual that I don't want to have to do this. But like I said, I think there's other things at play there. I think I've thought about, you know, there's a mass, sometimes this kind of distrust in the state and the government and whatnot. But it's interesting to consider that in America, it, from what I can see by the media, who knows, is that it's pretty high there. Um, you know, interesting to consider this is the sort of empire where capitalism runs you know, it's, it's kind of epitaph or amplified there that you have all these people wanting to kind of not listen and not do this and do that. And I've, I've got my own rights and whatnot. So I think that's interesting. Whether or not it would be different if we uh, thought about the person differently, it's speculation, but you could probably, you, you could, um, I think uh, it would maybe be different. Uh, mm. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting to note that there seems to be quite a strong fracturing of communities, like different communities. I saw something that I think 
Clementine Ford shared recently about um, anti-vaxxers. She's going on a bit of a rampage with that. Um, but that anti-vaxxers, their common thread is that we need to reopen business and like do good by the community um, or you're taking away my community's rights. But in that, there's that individualization of when they say community, they just mean people like them. And they don't really understand that community involves all of these different groups together coexisting. And I thought that was really interesting to note. And I think you see that around the world with community fractures that people do, they do identify in like communities, but these communities are very like-minded and almost like groupthink in their um, capacities, which is interesting. And maybe that's why there is like with the rise of individualism, maybe that's why there is such um, bias towards like all of these government controls and like that kind of thing, because the individual only sees people that talk like them and think like them, and they can't understand the immunocompromised perspective from somebody that they haven't spoken to or they don't, you know, revolve themselves around which makes it difficult to enforce anything. Yeah, I think that's really a really apt way to think about it because, yeah, you're right, community oftentimes it's not so much about, uh, it, it's, a, it's a myriad of different people, right, rather than you selecting, you know, and blocking people on social media and curating your own, you know, people essentially creating their own echo chamber. But I think that's a really good segue uh, to, to move into the paper because in this instance, this is a community made up of very uh, different people um, than what we might think. Um, and so uh, that's a kind of pretty neat, I, have, I can't take too much credit for that. That's kind of just rolled off really well. Thank you for that, Alyssa. Um, and um, so the, the Orient, what I'll, I'll move into the paper now. And um, so the, the kind of crux of the paper, right, and the premise of it and why it's situated in the course where it is, is because um, it's concerned with uh, extending personhood to non-humans. And that certainly is a very different type of community than the one that we're used to. And so we'll kind of enter into it with that in mind. And, um, uh, oh, and Callum, it's the, this is the, we're talking about the Yukigia uh, is the kind of how I understand you pronounce that. Um, and uh, I, what I first, want to think about, I think what might be an interesting way to think about this is that, so sure, they extend personhood to non-humans, but there's sort of a set of values, I think, that is still operating in respect to these other animals and non-humans um, that kind of make some, um, uh, like of a different um, degree of relationship. Um, uh, and a kind of different set of values that they place uh, on these non-humans. Um, I just thought um, if anyone sort of noted what that kind of difference was or what was um, valued about others, if anyone wants to share. Go, Cass. Hey, um, I feel like I might be maybe the weird one in the group in that like when I was reading it I feel like it made so much sense to me I feel like it just 
I don't know, Matt, maybe I watched too much Pocahontas growing up, <laughs> but it's like, I feel like we talk about, even in our culture, we talk about our pets. Like we, anyone who has pets knows that different pets have um, like different personalities and like, yeah, there's kind of general personalities based on even with dogs, like general breeds have kind of temperaments. But even within that, like golden retrievers are usually really smart. Some of them are really dumb. Like there's differences even within the same breed. And so I feel like that sense of like um, even I loved how they were like everyone is people experiencing the world through the, through the medium of their own body. And I was like it, it actually makes so much more sense to me and it, it's really logical and the idea that like nature has sentience and trees have sentience and um like I even talked to my uncle about it and he's like, yeah, of course, like you you cut its arm off, it has a response, it grows, it's got intention, it's not the same as humans, it probably doesn't have a brain that consciously goes, where is the sun? But it still, it responds and it adapts to its environment. So there's some form of intelligence there. And the same with animals, with all the videos of like lions seem to have like, even lions, they're like apex predators. But if they're not hungry, like there's been videos of lions that look after antelope and that don't, you know, but then they always have rivalry with um, with what are, hyenas and stuff. So it's like there's clearly, it's like, is there a social game in the Sahara? Like, is this a thing? Do, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I thought it just made so much sense. Yeah, that's my thoughts. <laughs> Good. Uh, and I'm glad it did. Um... You know, because uh, there's some there's some some tricky kind of things in the in the reading I think as well. But um, I think you've covered some good bases there. Um, and like you say, uh, you know, obviously we have uh, pets, um, and but you know, there's a kind of valuation, right? We kind of have certain kind of animals. I mean, obviously, there's always people who like to push up against that and have um, different kinds of pets. Um, and also there's, we're kind of, uh, kind of looking at animal behaviors as well um, to kind of like uh, evaluate kind of what we kind of value. Um, and I think that's also happens a little bit amongst the Yuhi gear, right? So there is a sense of personhood, like you sort of say, that kind of consciousness, um, and you sort of mentioned cast intelligence as well. Um, and that's kind of a distributed, differently or thought of differently amongst some of the non-humans uh, amongst the Hukigir. Like there's some animals that they really kind of uh, care for. Well, not care for, but sort of uh, view in a tif- different way. Um, yeah, Amy? Sorry, I forgot to <laughs> operate my computer. Um, I, I really love the Yukigir's um, delineation of inanimate and animate and the the different types of aliveness and spirit and that the rivers that because things that move have a, have another another level of consciousness. So I was really taken by that because that's a little bit different to any of the traditional um, knowledges I've come across before. But like Cass, I'm, I'm so with you. I, I feel so much more aligned to this stuff than what we keep talking about as our culture and I grew up with stories knowing about people getting sick from going on sickness land and not listening to traditional stories and even if they didn't believe 
the traditional um, stories of, of the land that they still go and, and get you get sick if you go into sickness country in this in Australia. Uh, you, you can believe it or not, it's true and it's real. And if people, I've, yeah, I've come, know lots of stories throughout my life. So that is so real for me that the country is alive and like alive is 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 a living conscious being. Is yeah, diverse qualities. Yeah. Thanks, Amy. And I think you've, yeah, that's the kind of one of the critical points, right, um, is what you've kind of raised there is that um, the idea of things being alive, I think we can all sort of assent to and think about. But what you sort of noted was that amongst the Yuki gear, that's the case, but there's some sort of gradation, right? So there's, um, there's animate and inanimate objects and um, there's the Aiebi. I think some of you um, hopefully uh, recall. Um, I'll just check at my notes to see um, which page that was, uh, page 73, um, where there's that kind of vital force that I talked about in the lecture. And so in this case, there's the Aiebi, that kind of soul spirit, and that's kind of given over to everything, but uh, things with consciousness or movement or intention have multiple. IEB, the, the head IEB, and let me just bring up my notes. Oh, I got rid of them. A head IEB and a heart IEB, and I think the head was about breathing and the heart was about movement. Mm. So that's that's a kind of interesting point. Um, yeah, Cass. Oh, oh, I just had a really interesting response to what Amy was saying with the sickness. Um, there's this really peculiar thing with people who've been out to Uluru and taken rocks from there as like mementos and the people out there have literally had people post these stones back to Uluru because they've been like, I've been haunted. Like I took this and it's just like it's not just their morality feeling bad. It's like I swear I've been haunted. Weird stuff's happened. I don't like it. I feel guilty. I just know that the rock needs to go back where it came from. <laughs> so I'm like... What? And so it's a real interesting in Australian Indigenous thought, um, the earth has consciousness as well, a little bit potentially more than what the Yuki gears ascribe to it, in that like rocks have a certain type of intelligence. And what's his face? Tyson Young Porter, who teaches at Deakin, he he writes about it in his book where he's like, There's a there's an intelligence of the earth and if you can learn to listen, you'll learn to listen like you can yeah, I don't know. He, he says it better. He knows what he's talking about. But it's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I think, you know, these are kind of, um, I think in the context of this course, right, some of these stories take on a different meaning, right, because you kind of maybe some of those things are kind of, you know, these interesting, just interesting kind of things. But uh, when we think about what we've been exploring in embodied relatedness and the idea of country and whatnot, um, it starts to kind of make uh, uh, sort of um, we can see it differently, right? Um, did you think that, Amy? Or not? I, I was just going to uh, get keep going along the same, but I figure you probably want to move on to the next point. So I thought oh, I can hold on to it. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. I was um, I was going to sort of uh, 
push onto the next sort of point and um, think about um, uh, yeah. So that 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 principle of the IEB um, sort of underpins. I think it's probably the kind of critical point when it comes to the idea of personhood. Um, I think that's probably something that we should probably underline when we think about the way that the Yukiki assign personhood um, to non-humans. And um, that's uh, on page uh, 75, uh, Willis sort of says that, um, uh, oh, um, just to kind of make it clear uh, within that schema as well, um, that it seems to that what Willis details is there's a real kind of, they really like bears, reindeer and elk. And although that there's other non-humans that have consciousness, that fish and insects are sort of like down just a bit to the side. And that's not to say that there's sort of a, a really kind of rigid hierarchy, but it's just sort of like a kind of relationship by certain degrees. Um, and what sort of seems to influence that level of, you know, degree or proximity uh, is on page 75, he talks about some of these animals sort of seem to uh, have behaviours that uh, conform to their uh, Yuki's moral values and rules of conduct. Um, did anyone kind of uh, note that or just get to that sense of what is meant uh, by that? Um, how they sort of uh, sense of degree between some animals by, by that means. Yeah, Alyssa? Something, <clears throat> sorry. Um, something I did find interesting was that I think there was a part where the Yika here were hunting an elk and then a wolf dragged it away, but they weren't they weren't prepared to go and spite hunt the wolf because it took their game, because everything's fair game for things that they um, put personhood on or that they understand as also having that personhood. And I thought that was, yeah, that was quite counterintuitive from a Western perspective, but from that perspective, I totally understood that and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's really great. Thanks for that. Um, I think the Wolverines, are, I, I, in the, some of the other seminars, they, they seem to be the things that I keep coming back to because they hold this interesting place, right? Because um, they kind of, they think they're a bit smelly and a bit dirty and whatnot, but they're predators. And, and so uh, you can get, right? And so there's this interesting point where they're like, well, they're kind of greedy and they're lustful and they're whatnot, uh, but they must think that we are too. And if we think about ourselves as predators and necessarily in, in, engaged in predation, because that's just how we get by, well, um, there's a perspective or shift there. Like we think of them in this way and, you know, and they must think about us in that way. And when you have that per common personhood, uh, there's less of a hierarchy, right, in that, in that regard, if you think about it like, like that. Uh, so that's a kind of good, uh, a great uh, insight there. So yeah, Kim? Yeah, I was just going to say what you had said about, you know, the idea of what they really value and how they value this honourable moral elk because it's seen as clean, whereas things like wolverines and foxes will you know, urinate and defecate on their food and then still eat it. 
and so they're very, you know, anti that. Um, but also this idea that humans might see, I can't, I don't know how to pronounce it, the, the thing that eats the soul, what, abyssala, or we, they see that, but then animals see us as in the same level of evilness if we're killing them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think um, uh, I was just trying to what might be recent. I actually tried to draw a little diagram, but it didn't really work out. But well, you know how we're all mm, mm -hmm. evil to someone and good to someone, mm, and prized mm, by someone or something. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, that's one of the kind of central motifs of this uh, work, and I think what it kind of hinges on. Um, and I think we can deal with it in a preliminary way because this idea of perspective will be developed more, definitely given a lot more space in the uh, set text. But I really uh, like the idea that you said, um, a diagram, yeah, because, you know, yeah, because that's, uh, to be frank with you, in all the seminars, it, we do. I, I wish you were in the last one because we kind of went around and around and there was some great discussion, but that it kept kind of the nature of it is that it keeps turning back, you know, on itself because you've got these different perspectives and the conversation that it kept, we'd kind of come back around again to the same point. So we need to do that or a diagram. Well, anytime you need a diagram, I'll give you my number. You just give me a call. I can pop in at a minute's notice. Great. Thank you. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> um, so yeah, because what's happening is that this it's contextual, right? Like I sort of said in the lecture, that kind of personhood is contextual and shifting. Um, when they're killing the elk, they're sort of not that personhood in the meat. But yeah, there's this idea of predation that kind of keeps uh, shifting. Um, that's really, really kind of um, interesting, I think. And likewise, there's also another kind of thing that emerges out from a sense of perception is, did, did anyone pick up on or uh, find interesting that when the when some of the non-humans are out of sight, it's as if they carry on their own sort of society that sort of has kind of uh, thought about in the same terms of um, how the Yuhige interact with one another. And I just wondered if anyone, what they made of that. Um, yeah, Alyssa. I thought that was really interesting. Like I. I wondered whether it was almost talking about um, an extra dimensional space, especially because that hunter was like in the example that the hunter was really hungry and was getting kind of delusional, but also it seemed like he entered this other space that wasn't necessarily his world. Like it wasn't his world. It was their world, but he was seeing, he was seeing them as they would be when they're not on the hunt. And to me, that was like, is he talking a metaphor about just like seeing, like say, say like Cass mentioned with the um, with the pride of lions that when they're not hungry, they're in that socialization mode and they take care of you know other animals or they take care of themselves and there's definite social structures in that. Like, was he kind of was there an emphasis on that or was it very much like that other space that they go into because that brings up questions of yeah like multiple dimensions and the sentience of everything retreating to that that place when they're not on this um on this plane to get resources really 
which is a fascinating concept. Yeah, I think it is one of the kind of um, more sort of like tricky, much more kind of metaphysical kind of thinking aspect of it, of the paper. And I think we'll hopefully make more sense of it down the, down the road, uh, build on it as we go along. But uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily think it's like there's a, another kind of uh, dimension, uh, more so that because there's this shared personhood or shared Aibi as well, they have, in the same, they have the, it in the same way that I do. The only really difference is our outward physical appearance. And even that, even though that orients your perception, that can, you can almost sort of shift that as well when you talk about like, uh, yeah, you can make yourself, you can, uh, like the Yuki gears when they hunt, try and minimize what they see as the human qualities and try and get rid of some of their smells and, um, don't interact with other people and so in that process you're minimizing those kind of outward uh those uh, external things that uh, differentiate you and emphasizing that personhood so if you're if you think about that really being only the difference then it doesn't it's not a big step to then think that uh they or animals over there would behave as like us humans do uh, and have kind of kinship arrangements. And they even go as far as to say that those forms can be kind of thrown away. Um, uh, and yeah, and that's a pretty kind of uh, different way of uh, seeing things uh, literally, isn't it? Um, Kath, yeah, go ahead. Um, I found that really interesting what you were saying with the metaphysical. Uh, because I actually, I didn't interpret it that way. Um, I kind of thought of like, um, like a lot more still in that mindset of like, they are just like us, but experiencing the world through a different vessel. And there's a lot of, um, like, I feel like I've mentioned it already, this book called Elephant, When Elephants Weep. And it talks all about, um, animal emotions. And I was like, I feel like the way we relate to people, is less of an intellectual thing. It's more like feeling and vibe and emotion. And we've added structure to it. Um, but like, I guess I imagined like foxes going back into their hole and like, there's probably the one little pest of a sibling and there's one that's more like of a serious sibling and like more like that, like they've got family units and they recognize like, oh, that fox's relation versus this one's just traveling through. And like, um, like there's a great video of these penguins and there's these two groups and you'll probably seen it on Instagram where they're like, go and they meet and they all chat and then they keep walking. And then this one penguin goes back, grabs his mate and he's like, he went with the wrong group. And like, they go catch up with their own group. And I'm like, oh, they're like little high schoolers. <laughs> like, like these two friendship groups have just interacted, shared a bit of information. One dope's gone off with the one group and his mates had to go rescue and be like, oh, you dick, we're going this way. Oh, sorry. But like, yeah, I was just like, oh, yeah, that checks out. That, that, that's probably exactly what it's like. Yeah, I think uh, that's good. I, I think you're, you were right when you said, uh, I just thought this paper was just logical. I feel like you've kind of inhabited that logic really easily. That, um, because I think what, 
at the heart of what you're saying is that if you assume that this sense of personhood is shared amongst other non-humans, then it's not very difficult to think about the idea that humanity as that disposition that I mentioned in the lecture as a disposition that we share amongst humans, you know, like sociality and uh, benevolence and whatnot. If there's a broader sense of personhood, uh, extending that humanity out isn't isn't really a, much of a step. And to consider that these animals would have kinship networks and things like that. And I think what he sort of says in the paper and what's taken up elsewhere is that it's only thought about in kinship terms uh, as human-centric kinship terms is because that's all they have, right? You know, like it's like uh, that's just how what I'm situated in. So that's how I'm just extending that outward. Uh, so that's I think some people would say, oh, well, they're just projecting. Uh, well, that's their kinship system, and that's just how they're going to understand it. Um, uh, yeah, thanks, Simon. So. Um, I was really interested in talking about how the physical body is the only thing that limits humans and non-humans and uh, persons. Uh, and I think the thing that really elaborated on that for me was talking about how when the other, the, the spirit hunts, they don't see them in their physical form as humans. They see them in the physical, they see a woman's spirit as a cow, a male's as a bull, and a child's as a little elk, in the same way that the human hunters see an elk and see uh, a wolverine or different sizes and ages. Um, the hunters just, and this is a quote, thus the albus are hunters just like that, uh, but they see elk as different. So I think that kind of speaks to the idea that it's not only the physical body that gives humans that life, but also it affects their perspective. And that relates back to the fact that, yeah, those elks appear to us to be elks, but to other elks, they are the same level as humans in a relational way. They are as complex as humans are to each other. Um, and that kind of, that one sentence kind of really made me think, oh, what makes a person, it reiterated that fact that what makes a person is that soul. And it's not, the physical form is just the way you interpret it. Like Cass said, the, it's all just about the way that the world is viewed. And yeah, I think that was, it's on page 82. And that was really where it kind of clicked in for me as, oh, that's what they mean. That's their kind of idea. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, I think that's a, you've summed that up pretty well there, um, that sense of perspectivism. So yeah, the really only thing that's differentiating is our physicality. But even that can kind of be moved, shifted and dealt with. One of the other uh, students in the seminar said, well, what about, I, I'm thinking of like people who have to camouflage when they go hunting, humans, you know, and in that sense, you know, you're there trying to change your physicality. So it's not like we don't do it. Um, and when then you have that continuity of personhood, 
um, then what you know how you perceive something just hinges on your perspective. Well, I'm a predator in this instance, but likewise, I'll be preyed upon by um, someone else, and they'll see they'll see me as an elk in the same way that I see an elk when I prey upon them, and that is kind of um, that kind of context behind that uh, and shifting nature. That uh, yeah, listen. Um, yeah, what Colin was saying made me remember um, a bit of a segue, but um, there's this show on Netflix called Babies, which I thought would be really gross. It was actually really interesting because um, we were all once babies. And one thing that was just amazing was that after about six months of development, babies understand the facial structure of people in their group. So like whether that be... I think a lot of the time it's like based in race, like the racial groups or like the people that are surrounded, um, they are surrounded by the most. So <clears throat> there was an example, there was this um, Chinese man that moved to Canada and as an adult, he noted that everybody looked the same when he was there, which I thought was really interesting because I, I've heard the same been said, you know, from the opposite spectrum, like somebody from England going to to China and being like, oh, everybody looks quite similar. But it's because our brain is focusing on those elements. And maybe it's the same for animals, you know, like when they grow up, they they register people of that same like group or that person of that same group. And then they notice those distinct features and those little differences. Or if they're not around that, then they tend to place everything in groups and that sameness but I thought that was really interesting that that's actually a, a thing that the brain does like that's wired into us to do that yeah I think that's a good idea that's an interesting point in that sense that kind of perceptual cognitive thing develops but what I think you're sort of sort of weighing up there is that like uh, something else is being emphasized um, with those babies there's something else that's kind of contributing and then as you build this cognitive framework uh, then it's that that's suddenly another aspect kind of that physical difference so in that sense you could almost say the yuki gear of course the yuki gear uh like he says in one of the readings he's like i'm an idiot i'm a child uh i recognize these differences it's just that i don't emphasize them what i'm what i'm emphasizing is the shared personhood uh, and the other thing that kind of physical difference is uh, less important and I think uh, what you've just raised there which I think speaks to that and uh, yeah maybe I should watch a show about babies. Totally it's surprisingly very good. <laughs> I once said something so funny one time someone showed me that I was just you know I was writing my thesis and, and someone showed me their baby and I was like oh it must be just so interesting to see the formation of a human and da 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 and they're just like what just having a child, I was like, oh, just stop the anthropology for a second. Like, yeah, go ahead, Colin. Um, kind of related to what Alyssa was saying, while I was living in Egypt, I was always surprised by the kids could pick their mothers out of a group of women, even though they're wearing the full galabea and their full headdress. And if I asked a lot of my students, how, how do you recognize your mother? Some would be like, oh, it's her purse. And you go, of course. But um, a lot of them would be like, the way she walks or the way she holds herself, the older students would be like, 
It's the way she holds herself and walks. And it kind of was interesting to put that into perspective of the same idea that the the Yuka gear kind of changed the way they hold themselves to appear as elks. These women were identifiable by the way they held themselves in an individualist sense. So it kind of came back to that. And what Alyssa said about, you know, that identifying people of the same, uh, like Chinese men going to Canada about or white people look the same. Um, it, it's interesting to think like it all kind of comes back to individualism, individualism and how we learn to differentiate between individuals. Um, and it made me kind of think, just Alyssa's comment and made me kind of think about how maybe the Yuthikia would not identify on such individualistic uh, uh, things. Although in the text they go on to say how humans are referred to in proper noun sense, their name, but animals were more their species or their spirit, uh, their their thing spirit, because, and I unfortunately didn't get to read the next chapter, but they, the author says, they go on to explain why animals can't be called their their name. Um, yeah, and I that kind of all related to me just then. Yeah, I think that's um, yeah some interesting things there, and um, how you sort of can fine tune your kind of um, perspective and cognition, um, but it's you know uh, still kind of has that kind of individualized kind of it's kind of pretty different um, to how the youth is. I mean, obviously they identify between one another, but then it kind of extends further out, which is kind of that really interesting perspective. And the one thing when you were, what you, I just was reminded of when you were speaking, Callan, and I can't remember whether it's in the, this paper or the blog post that's a recommended reading. But the other thing was that, um, we're at the time as well, so just to be quick, um, was that when the Yukis are sort of trying to sort of uh, mimic and downplay their humanness, there's a risk that they could actually go too far and fully transform uh, into an elk. Um, and so they try and retain some qualities. Likewise, when the animal, uh, the non-humans are elsewhere and they're sort of considering that they're having a kind of human an experience that's likewise human, the animals still, uh, I think it's on page 85, retain some of their smells and whatnot because they don't, it's so, the personal display likewise, you could actually just sort of shift over to this other form, you know, if, and you have to kind of be careful not to. Um, such is the kind of shared sort of person with that. So um, any just final quick queries or concerns or anything before I wrap it up? Um, I still think it's pretty way too early out to start worrying you about assessments or anything like that. Um, but I, I, you know, I'll raise that a bit closer to the date. Yeah, go ahead. I'm one of those people who gets worried if I don't know what the assessments are, and you'll actually worry me less if I know what it is we've got coming up. Okay. Like way less. Yeah. Putting it sure. out there. Does anyone else feel the same? Hey, thanks, Kim. Yeah, good. <laughs> Sometimes I have to balance. Um, people who are organised um, and then um, feeding into your own anxieties about it. Um, uh, but look, what I'd first of all say is that the assessments um, are all up in the assessment uh, 
spot in um, cloud um, and there's a kind of outline of what's required and the Rubik and everything like that. But just to put, just to give you a quick overview, uh, the first assignment's due on the 15th of August at 8 p.m. And it's about, you have to come up with uh, a, a photo, a PowerPoint presentation with five photos that preferably you've taken yourself, but um, obviously who knows what's going on, whether you can go out in the world. So you can also bring photos from the internet as well that just speaks to or helps you to think about the notion of personhood that we've explored so far. And then you can just give a, it's just a five minute audio oral presentation um, that kind of speaks to that. And that's obviously going to be a little bit guided by some of the themes that we've explored so far. Um, and that's all it is. Um, so yeah, like for example, uh, you could have a photo of a rock and an animal, any person, any person, and then you can just speak about embodied relatedness, the Glaskin reading, and just elucidate your thoughts about that. And uh, five, yeah, five photos. Um, and that's it. Um, so I'll just put that there. Um, and there's some more detailed uh, spreadsheets. Yeah, I don't see why a screenshot couldn't count. Okay. Um, yeah. Sorry. Um, references? Like how formal do we need to be? No. no. Don't need to be not hung up on references at this point. So this 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 uh, uh, this can often this assessment does throw people sometimes. I taught this course before and it does throw some people and I will kind of maybe revisit it closer to time because it's a little bit like not structured. And, other, and for some people that's a bit like, okay, what do I do? But it's meant to be like that because it's just for you to kind of just share what you're thinking a little bit and what you've thought about. Um, and uh, and so it's not like where I'm not really worried too much about references and whatnot. Um, it's just about your thoughts and some photos and whatnot. And in that respect, it's a good chance for me to kind of give you some feedback or whatever and then, um, and then it's obviously not going to be really, you know, like, oh my God, you got it wrong. But just so then you can take that to the next assessment. So it's just kind of pretty, kind of light on a little bit and should just help you kind of get the wheels turning. Um, and if, you know, like you just absolutely kind of, I don't know, go off track, I can't imagine, then I can at least be like, Okay, maybe just you know, maybe just go revisit that reading or whatever. I mean, that's, I've never really had to do that, but do you know what I mean? That's just sort of like it's a kind of a bit of a open kind of creative assessment. Hey, um, can I ask a question? Do do we need to write about it, or it's only it's only talking? Yeah. Okay. Uh, can I say something? I would love you to give us a bit more of structure because when uh, lots of well that's not the first time some people ask for something artistic but some people in within artistic they, they maybe want something 
they want something specific, so it would be a bit better to have a bit more instruction because I always think like it's too wide sometimes, and I don't know what what do you want? Like I can take a picture of furniture or a person, but maybe not what you expect. So I just yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I understand your concern, and hence my hesitancy a little bit to kind of deal with it now because I still think we're about a month out and I don't want people to start getting a bit like what, I'm, what to do. Um, so what, which, but I'm All right. glad. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but. No, no, no. Uh, no. Half, of the country, half of the country is in lockdown. So if people are going to work on their assessment, it's probably going to be now, not in a month's time. Sure. No, that's fine. <laughs> um, sure, I'm, I'm happy to deal with it. Um, uh, so, look, I'll, what I'll say is I'll revisit again close to the time, not like the day before. Um, but uh, I, I acknowledge what you're saying, and uh, some other people have kind of brought that up. But what I'd say is that there are more structured assessments coming down the track as well. So there's there's three, three assessments, and what you'll find is that as we go along, they gain more structure where you have... The final essay is a long, normal, standard kind of essay structure. Um, so uh, that's what I'd say uh, concerning that. So hopefully that kind of addresses that. Um, and uh, look, I'll, uh, you're right um, to talk about the fact that it's locked down. Um, so that's kind of uh, addressed in the fact that you can also include photos from the internet. That's what had to happen last year in regard to this essay. Of course, there, you can't, there might not be a case where you can go out and take photos. I understand that. So you can upload other pictures. Um, and uh, I just say that, you know, if you can put some photos there and, you know, give a decent oral presentation where you're thinking about the ideas, yeah, even if it is the chair, um, you know, that's the, that's the point that I'll be looking at. Um, and I, I hopefully that the, the oral presentation might just free you up a little bit to, to talk. Um, and that's the kind of, that's the kind of orientation of it a little bit. All right, thank you very much. I just have one question following on from that, Samson. Yeah. Um, when we upload the PowerPoint presentation, um, do you want the audio included within the PowerPoint presentation or will you be drawing on each person to do their oral presentation in in seminar or? Yeah. So, um, no, it's not, you're not going to present the oral, you're not going to present it. Right. Um, so as part of the present, as part of the PowerPoint. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. I think, yeah, there's a function in PowerPoint where I think you yeah. can just record. Yeah. Yeah, so no, it's not um, something to stand up in front of the class and give. Yes, that's okay. So. That's good. Hmm. Okay, and as I said, I'll revisit it um, maybe in a week or two. Um, so, and just give it a lot more space. Um, so, um, I just don't want you to uh, stress too much about it at this stage. And it is meant to be something that's not a really stressful assignment and it should just give uh, me the space as an uh, assessor to get, you know, think about the next one was really it. Okay, good. Thanks everyone for coming today. Good to see you and stay safe 
And thanks, guys. Yeah. See you. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Oh, he's gone. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I'm going to ask you about the journal one, whether we need references for that, but I'll ask um, I think it says at the bottom that we don't. There's my wife. <laughs> uh, I think it says at the bottom that we don't, or maybe that was this one that they were just talking about. I might have to reread it. I'm like, yeah. Now I'm like, well, I have extra time. I'm going to read all the readings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no, that's cool. I really, yeah, just quickly, I really liked what you talked about in the seminar today. Like, I, I think that was a really cool idea and the physicality and stuff, it was really cool. So, yeah, just appreciated making it clearer for me. <laughs> so, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Thank you. So, have fun. See you later. Bye. Yeah, have a great day.